Good afternoon, Sam Mark family and those who are with us uh, this afternoon. Welcome to The 8. This is a big week here for us here in Georgia for many households, many families, as we're adjusting to a school year uh, digitally as far as our, all our school systems, and in including college, are kind of adjusting to this new world. We're also beginning a new series here at The 8 called Cash Money. But before we get into it, I want to remind all of us why this service here at San Mar Church uh, is called The 8. Just as there are seven days in a week to complete a whole week, eight is a new start. The eighth day is the beginning of a new week, is a, a new start, a new way of thinking. So in the same way, the, the, this number, which we see in world history and even in scripture, is reflecting a new beginning. So in the same way, like the whole vision of the eight is maybe for us to pause and to rethink, why do I think the way I do or why do I behave the way I do? Maybe this is a time for us to kind of pause and kind of look inside. Maybe it's a time for me to renew and reset life. Hence our tagline here at the eight. Cash money. For many of us, when it comes to finances, we kind of do our own thing. Like the way I deal my finances is my own thing. Like I want to consume this. I want to upgrade that. Maybe for a lot of us to deal with the stress of, 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 of this pandemic world that we live in is, hey, let me just purchase another thing from Amazon. Let me just add something as I'm sitting on the couch and just waiting for Christmas Day to come for that box to come in in a couple of days. Time for me to buy a new thing, new phone, new shoes, new dress, whatever the case might be. It's a time for me to kind of upgrade things. Maybe that's how I deal with the stress or uncertainty of this world. It kind of just puts things at ease. Maybe that's our view of finances or how we deal with finances. So maybe our financial management skills or maybe maybe lack thereof skills, our financial management is maybe one aspect of life. And maybe our faith is another aspect of life. Maybe for many of us, yeah, the way I deal with finances, what I consume, that's my own thing. That's how I, that's how I deal with my own finances. My faith yeah, I can do like this love one another thing every once in a while. I can, you know, I, I, I can do the whole church thing every once in a while. And we kind of keep the, the, the two separate at two aspects of life. But one thing I do know about you and me, there is a time where both do intersect. Our finances, our, our approach to finances and our faith, they do intersect. And maybe this past summer or maybe the times of uncertainty now is a time where you do see them intersect, where all of a sudden we're praying. We're saying, God, give, give me a new job or help me to, to, to have certainty or confidence in the direction my, my, my career is going or to help our finances. All of a sudden, these two are intersecting. The best thing, I, I know this sounds kind of cruel, but one of the best things to come from this, this pandemic, for many of us, it's a time for us to begin new habits, to begin new routines. All of a sudden, the go, go, go lifestyle that we were living before the quarantine began, like now everything became to a halt. Now I'm having to look inside myself. Now I'm having to have, to have difficult conversations. All of a sudden, like my routine of life has, has come to a complete stop. This is the best time to begin new habits. Before we would always say, man, if I had more time, I would work out. If I had more time, I would eat better. If I had more time, you know, I would strengthen my relationship with God or pursue more to life than what I'm doing. Like we always say, if I had more time, now this is the time. This is the best time to begin new habits and new routines. I am so proud of so many families like that have, have called me or text me and says, you know what? I never used to like really pray or, or talk to God in, in the morning or that was never really part of my life, maybe just on Sundays. But now, like, I built a new routine for my mornings to spend time, quiet time with God. For many of you, some husbands have texted me saying, you know what, I really never used to pray with my kids or, or, or with my wife. 
like now with this, like with life coming to a pause and kind of beginning new habits, new routines, this is the first time we're doing this. So I'm so happy to hear that from so many of you taking advantage of a new routine to life. When my wife and I were living in DC for many years, one of the, the like it was, I hated it, but there was an advantage to it, was we would always move to a new apartment um, every 12 months to kind of take advantage of a new, uh, you know, deal or, or, or you know, whatever going on, uh, a, new, a new lease or a new rental uh, 12-month thing. And one of the things we would always do is says, okay, you know what, we're about to move into a new apartment. We're about to move. What new habit, what new rhythm to our lives personally or in our marriage, what habit or routine do we want to build into our finances or pattern to our morning routine or for our physical health or, or our marital health? What new habits or virtues do we want to apply as we kind of begin a new start or begin a new chapter of life? And now it's no different. So my prayer as we kind of go through this three-part series talking about cash money is maybe we can have a new healthy view of how we look at finances. This is the best time to kind of reset um, our view of, of money. This is a weird sentence, but probably the only common thing between Jesus and rappers, like the only common thing between Jesus and rappers, like in, in the hip-hop world, the, the, probably the only common thing between them, both talk a lot about cash money. Rappers and Jesus both talk a lot about cash money. Actually, if you look at the record that we have of Jesus' life, which we have from the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four authors who kind of write down uh, their experience or their record um, of Jesus' life, that Jesus loved his style of communication. He loved to talk in parables, which are these fictitious um, stories that kind of illustrate a point uh, to his audience. So depending on how you count them, there is approximately 36 to 38 parables that Jesus gave. 16 of them involved money, finances, possessions. So approximately half of the parables that Jesus communicated talked about finances. So this is a big part that Jesus kind of emphasized, and this was intentional. So I think every once in a while, maybe we need to talk about it uh, just because Jesus talked about it a lot. And as far as what we have of, of Jesus' life, what we have on record, he never really asked for money. He never asked for money, but he loved to talk about it. Actually, there was one time where he did talk about it. Uh, he asked for a coin uh, to do a magic trick. Not a magic trick, but to do a, a, a money trick with a coin. But you can read that in the Gospels to see why Jesus did that or why did he ask for that. There's a lot of mysteries to life. At least for me, how do I deal with a three-nager? That's one mystery of life. Maybe for, for parents of older kids, like how do I deal, like how do I parent uh, as my kid is entering the stage? There's a lot of mysteries. How do we do digital learning, right? There's a lot of mysteries to life. There's a lot of mysteries to love, right? But one thing where there should not be a mystery to life is how we should view finances, of how we should view money. Like how I consume money, how I should approach money, there should, that shouldn't be a mystery. Like there's a certain intake that's coming in. How do I manage that? How should I view it? How should I, like, there, there should be no mystery to that. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. Here's something I know that you know. Regardless of your worldview, if you would label yourself as Christian or not, there's one thing I know that you know that, that this, that money is not the end to life. Money is not the end to life. If, if, if all I approach to life was just getting more money or just getting cash or just my career, I'm going to end up in life alone and nothing. Because I guarantee you, you know this and I know this, there's more to life than this temporal world, 
regardless of, regardless of your ideology, all of us are thinking, is there more to life than this? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? All of us are thinking it and asking that question in one language or in one way or another. There has to be more to this. But one thing you would know, regardless of your old view, that money is a means to an end. It is not the end. Money is the means to an end, but it is not the end. Think about this. For something to be the means to an end, if, something, if I'm going to utilize something for it to be the means to an end, that's what gives it meaning. Like what gives something meaning is that it is meaningful to get to something at the end, all right? I don't know if many of you remember, I, I, well, it's kind of still in business, a store called Brookstone. I used to love going to the store Brookstone for those big massage chairs and just all the weird gadgets they have. A lot of the stuff is cool to play with for about 14 seconds, but then after that you realize, okay, this is cool, but when on earth would I ever use this gadget or this toy? Like, it's not really meaningful, right? It's kind of fun to play with, but it doesn't have a meaning. Like, what's the means of this toy or this gadget? What's the end of it? Here's some dumb toy that I saw one time at Brookstone. Gronk ball, okay, Gronk ball. It's a ball that's a Bluetooth speaker and a football. It's a Bluetooth speaker and a, a football. Okay, I, I like Bluetooth speakers, I like music, and I like football. I don't want to be throwing a speaker around. I don't want the, 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 a speaker to hitting my head, so I don't understand that. Like, those are two things that I don't want in the same item, okay? So, there are a lot of things that can give meaning to life, but it's not the end. Money is the same way. Money is a means to an end. It is not the end. I know you know this, but many of us approach that my, my career, how I do finances, it's the end is for me to consume. The end is for me. That's the end. It's not, I don't look at it as a means to an end. Imagine, for example, imagine, okay? Just dream for a second if I viewed everything in life. Imagine if I viewed everything that I have, that I have been entrusted with, that I see it as a means to an end. What's the means of my career? What's the end of it? What's, what's, what's the win? The way I handle my finances. Is it for me to consume or just for me to upgrade this in my house or that for me to use, for me to get a new car, for me to get a new phone? If this is a means to the end, what is the end? What if I ask that question about my marriage? This is a means to what? What's the end of this? Is just someone to vacation with, someone to, be, to, to share life with? What's the end? The four records that we have of Jesus' life, one of them is written by someone named Luke, or Santa Luke. So he was a first century physician. So his style of writing is to be very detail-oriented. As a physician, he loves to describe very uh, fine details that he experienced or that he recorded in the life of Jesus. So one of the parables that he recorded of Jesus presenting was this. This is what we're picking up in the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. This is what Jesus said in this parable. Jesus told his disciples, who were the followers of Jesus, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Right from the get-go, his audience understood, okay, this is another parable. Uh, so in every parable, there is a God figure, and there's a you and me figure. There's a divine figure, and there's a human figure. So right from the get-go, Jesus is beginning this parable or this imagery to his disciples. And he says this, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possess possessions. So he called the manager in, he called him in and asked him, Hey, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. 
because you cannot be manager any longer. So now the rich man is telling the manager, hey, I've been hearing rumors that you're kind of mismanaging my money. You're kind of, you're not handling my, my store very well. You're not, you're not dealing with my business very well. Is this true? What is this I'm hearing? I'm going to have to terminate you. All right. I'm putting, I'm giving you your pink slip. I'm giving you a two week notice. I'm like, I'm not liking what I'm hearing. So, you know, kind of just wrap up things. You know, you, you got, you got 14 days left in this job. Jesus continues. Verse number three, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. Man, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Now the manager is thinking, okay, my, my, my career here is ending. I kind of screwed up, but I'm, I'm not weak to like to work the fields. Like I, I, I don't like to do the dirty job. I, I like to manage and manage the other employees, but I, I can't do that job. So what should I do? What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. Like, I'm, I, I don't have enough, like, I'm not humble enough to kind of like just beg for money. So what shall I do? Verse number four. I know what I'll do then. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he started to think, okay, okay, when I lose my job, I know I got 14 days. The rich man made it clear to me I'm losing my management, my manager position here. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, hey, how much do you owe my master? How much do you owe him? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, okay, okay, take your bill. Sit, sit down quickly and make it 450. Let's just, let's just close this tab. Okay, you owe 900 gallons of olive oil. Okay, let's just close it. Owe me, owe me 450 and let's just call it a day here. Let's just, you know, I'm doing you a favor here, but just remember me, just in case I get stuck, you know, just remember me, okay, I'm doing you a favor here, all right? So this is the way the manager's thinking as he's approaching uh, the end of his career here as a manager. Verse number seven. Then he asked the second, and how much do I owe you? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. So the manager told him, okay, take your bill and let's just make it 800. Let me just give you 20% off. Let's just end this right here. I'm doing you a favor, all right? So just keep this in mind, all right? I'm doing you a favor. So I'm just giving you 20% off. Instead of you owing only me a thousand, let's just make it 800 and call it a day. Verse number eight. The master commended the dishonest manager. The master praised the manager. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Shrewdly, someone who, he had wise judgment. Pause for a second. You're the owner of the store. The manager now has cut a, a, a deal with those who owe money. Instead of them owing a thousand, he cut 20% off. He, like, he, he just gave them a, a great deal. And now the, the master is telling the manager, he's praising him because he acted in such a wise way. He had great judgment. How on earth does this make any sense? He continues. For the people of this world are more wiser or more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. He's talking about the people of the light being Jewish people. He's saying people of, 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 who are pursuing more to life know how to deal with finances better than people who just think this is all for me. He continues, verse number nine. I tell you, use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What on earth is Jesus saying in this parable? 
in the story that he's giving his disciples. He's saying, use your temporal wealth. Don't use it for yourself. It's not just for you to consume and what's best for you and what's for your family. It's designed, your, your view of it should be, how can I use this to make a generational impact? How can I use this as a catalyst for something more than myself? And this is why the owner praised the manager of how he viewed finances. Now he uses finances by thinking shrewdly, by thinking of the future, not just thinking of today. He's thinking long-term. He's trying to make a plan for himself, trying to strengthen his bond, his relationships, his friendships with these people because he prioritizes that more than just his finances. Our view of money should be bigger than what's in it for me or what should I do that's best for me. That should, how can I use this as a means to an end? Our finances are not the end. I know you know this, but we're pushed all around us, especially what we see in music, cash money, cash money. This is part of my status. This is my identity. This is who I am. It's how much I got in my 401k, how much I've been saving, how much, how many zeros do I have to my salary? And, and this causes, statistically, cross-culture, uh, regardless of anyone's culture, this is a, a, a big friction point in many marriages. Finances and sex are the two biggest things that cause friction in any marriage because it comes down to how we view finances. For many of us, subconsciously, we view it as an end, not as a means to an end. Think about this question. I, I want to ask myself this and for you to, ask, to think through this question. How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? Again, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end where me is not the end? How can I leverage of more of what I have, what I have been entrusted with, to use as a means that's an end that doesn't end with me? Like, I need to break through the habit that my finances, what's, what, what I have is for me. Maybe, maybe we don't want to think of that because that sounds prideful. That sounds selfish. No, it's for me and my family. We think about it just for us, just my bubble. Just, just me, just my wife, just my kids, and I think about it, just me, me, me. But how can I leverage more of what I have to be a means to an end where the end is not me? Maybe that's the original divine design of how I should look at possessions, of finances. Maybe there's a reason of more than half or approximately half of the parables that Jesus gave involved possessions because he sees how this can debilitate, this can paralyze us of our view of more to life when we have an unhealthy or a distorted view of cash money. Somebody in history that's very close to my heart is, uh, is an Egyptian man uh, in the early 1900s. Okay, his name was kind of funny, and then uh, I don't know Arabic, but I know how this is how you pronounce it. His name is Raghab Muftah. Raghab Muftah. Okay, that's his name. It's an intense name. But what I love about him is he came from a very wealthy family. Uh, his dad owned many farms in Egypt, and he was very wealthy. But he had an interest in the first century church. He was an Orthodox, Coptic, Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox Christian himself. And he had this immense curiosity or interest in music used in liturgical worship in the ancient church. And he became very curious as far as the beauty of, of music. So the, the specific study that he loved to learn more about was musicology, which is the study of music. He looked at the music that was used in the Coptic Orthodox Church, and he realized that there are many 
um, touches of pharaonic music or North African music that is used in the church services. And he became very interested in where that came from uh, and what's, what's, the, what's the origin of some of these. And he began to become concerned that some of this music that is so rich in history that can go back to even before St. Mark came to Egypt, even before Christianity began, and he's wanting to capture the, 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 the beauty and the origin of the music that is used. He wanted to capture that. That he used his finances as a means to leave a generational impact. He used the technology of his time to record from, from, from different people to record the origins of this music, of this North African music, of this pharaonic music, that which we now use 2,000 years later in the Coptic Orthodox Church, and he wanted to preserve that. He was lost, he was concerned that it would be lost in oral tradition. So he utilized the resources that were in front of him. He looked at the recorder and he says, okay, how can I use this as a means to an end to make an impact bigger than myself? So he sold his dad's farms. He hired uh, musicologists from England and from other places and, and sailed them over to Egypt. And he recorded in musical notation and using professional recording equipment to record the, the music of our ancient first century church in order to preserve. He understood there has to be more to life than me. My finances, my dad's farm, my inheritance is not just for me, me, me. It has to be for something bigger than myself. And get this, uh, so in 2001, he wanted to preserve this, but he didn't trust it to be preserved in Egypt. So he actually sent the recordings of, these ancient, of this ancient music. He sent it to the U.S. Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. in order for it to be preserved because he understood that I need to use my resources, I need to use my finances for it to be a means to an end that doesn't end with me. And now, it's even till today, it is stored in the U.S. Library of Congress, many of the rich history of our musicology of our first century church. He used his wealth as a means to an end that did not end with him. <clears throat> so my wife and I, we, we, have, we grew up in a very similar way of, of, of looking at finances. We both came from generous families. Of, of, of we, so we understood from the get-go once we got married that our finances were not for ourselves. This is something that we preach for all premarital couples that take the premar premarital program. Is, is you need to decide from now of what's your view of finances. Is it for yourself? Is it for your next vacation? Is it for what upgrade you want to make in your house? You want to take a perfectly good kitchen and upgrade it to another perfectly good kitchen. You need to decide now what is your view of finances. This was something easy for Sarah and I to do when we first got married. Even though we were living in DC, even though she was working at Starbucks, even though I was a student, we decided from then what percentage of our income we were going to live off of what percentage of our income we were going to live off of. This is something we need to decide. You need to decide. Why do you need to decide? Because right now, get this, you are living off a percentage of your income right now. Maybe for some of us, some of us we're living off of 80% of our income. Maybe for some of us, some of us, we are living off 120% of our income. We are using or spending more than we intake. But that needs to be a conversation. Prevention is better than intervention. So if we can pause and, 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 and reset our view of finances, maybe we can tap into our view of finances that came from our Heavenly Father. Maybe this can avoid headache and tension and conflicts and arguments down the line 
if I take preventative measures to have a healthy view of finances from now. When you and I make financial decisions, should we buy this, should we not, should we lease it, should we rent it, should we buy it, you know, should we do it now, should we wait, should we wait, like when we, we consider various factors when we make any type of financial decision, especially big ones, we consider various factors. I want you to add this question to your thought process when you're deciding should you make this financial decision or not? Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Do I want more stuff to just pile up and, and hoard in my house? Do I want to get more stuff or do I want more stories? The, the Orthodox Christian man that I mentioned earlier, Raghav Miftah, he had an option. Do I want more stuff? Or do I want more stories that will exist beyond my lifetime? How can I use what I have been entrusted with to make a generational impact? Maybe before we take that box of stuff and throw it in the attic or throw it in the basement that no one will ever see and my kids are going to have to deal with after that I'm, when I'm gone. Maybe I need to ask myself, do I want more stuff? Or do I want more stories? Imagine if we asked ourselves that question. Yes, I know, you, you, uh, me too. I have regrets of, of maybe some financial decisions I've made because I didn't ask myself that question. But I want myself, I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Do I want more stuff for my consumption or do I want to make an impact that, that goes even beyond me? What approach do I want to apply to my finance, financial management? Get this. I, I think you've probably seen it as well. The amount of buildings that are being built up that are just storage places, purely just three or four stories of just storage places. Get this. The, the storage company market has exploded. So this statistic I got, the, the storage company market is growing 3.6%, almost 4% every year. Year to year, it is growing almost by 4% every year because we have more stuff. We have more stuff. We don't know where to place it. We don't have enough room in our, in our, in our houses anymore, in our places where we live. Now we got to pay a place to store our stuff, which we'll never see. Because we would rather store up stuff than to have stories. It is one of the fastest growing sectors of the U.S. economy, which blows my mind. Do we want more stuff or do we want more stories? I know people that have looked at their finances and said, you know what? There's more to this world than me. There's more to my finances of just what's best for me. And they've come to the church and says, here, I want this money to be used for a building. Not just, just a building, just a place with four walls, but a place that will, that will grow our children, that will grow the next generation for them to see their value, for them to see their worth, for them to see their, their purpose in the eyes of the love of their heavenly father. They want to invest in programs and into the future that goes beyond their life. They decided, I don't want some more stuff. I want stories. Think about that. Think of the power of that. And just imagine if we asked ourselves that question. Our financial health is a reflection of our spiritual health. Our financial health, my view of finances, is a reflection of my spiritual health. And my financial health can also reflect my holistic health like how I view my finances, I can then transfer that thought process or that approach with my physical health, with my mental health, with, with, with my relational health, my, my, my marital health. I, how, how is this a means to an end? What's the end? Is it me? What's in it for me? Or is it something bigger than that? 
Imagine, our financial health can reflect our spiritual health. Our financial health can also reflect our holistic health. You know what? Take, don't take my words as far as how to view this weird parable. It is kind of weird that Jesus gave his disciples. I want us to look at the words uh, of an early Christian father by the name of St. Augustine. He came from an ancient city called Hippo, which is in modern-day Algeria. So he is a, a North African man who wrote these words. The best thing about our first century church is that I don't need to, to, to guess what Jesus meant. I can look to see how did the early Christians in the first few centuries, how did they live out what Jesus preached? How did that rock their world? And then how can I apply that to myself 2,000 years later? Listen to what St. Augustine said uh, in the year 410 AD. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ present this parable to us? He surely did not approve of that cheat of a servant who cheated his master, stole from him, and did not make it up from his own pocket. On top of that, he also did some extra proliferating. He did some extra stealing. He caused his master further loss in order to prepare a little nest of quiet and security for himself after he lost his job. Why did the Lord set this before us? It is not because that servant cheated, but because he exercised foresight for the future. When even a cheat is praised for his ingenuity, Christians who make no such provision blush. In what life, after all, did that steward insure himself like that? He was insuring himself for a life that was going to end. Would you not ensure yourself for eternal life? Like here is this manager that was, but that it was wise and shrewd to think of a longer game plan, but still thinking of this temporal world. What if you and I were thinking beyond us? Because you and I know there's more to life than this. Do I want more stuff, more consumption, more upgrades for things I want, and more hoarding. We wouldn't use the word hoarding, because that sounds selfish. We just say, well, let me just keep more stuff just in case, right? Isn't that the statement we use? But what if I used it for something bigger than myself? Because maybe we want stories. Maybe we want relationships more than just stuff. Because if I just view it at stuff, I'm going to end up alone. No one's going to say at my funeral about how much stuff I had. But I pray that they can remember stories. And that my life in this temporal world can leave a generational impact that exists beyond my life in this world. If I live for myself, I will be left with just my stuff. If I live for myself, I will only be left with my stuff. At the end of this parable that Jesus gave about possessions, about a healthy view of cash money, the Pharisees, who were just snobs, kind of just staring at Jesus, taking notes, wanting to attack him, it ended with this. St. Luke records this. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus because they viewed finances me. What's in it for me? Do you know their names? Do you know the names of these Pharisees who just viewed money for themselves? Yeah, neither do I because they lived for themselves. I pray that after today, for the following two Sundays, Maybe when we hear of cash money or view our cash money, we don't look at it as a status. We don't look at it as a way to identify me. But maybe I can look at it as a means to an end where the end is not me.
Let us bow our heads and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we know that there's more to life than just money and finances and a promotion or this savings account or me getting more cash. We know there's more to it. But Lord, I pray that, that, that this talk, that today allows all of us to pause and maybe to kind of look at our finances or maybe to just have that conversation with our significant other. How do I view finances? How do we view finances? What are we instilling in, in our kids, the next generation of how they should view finances? Is it just for us or maybe it's a means to an end where the end is not me? I pray that we have clarity and can maybe reset and, re and, re and, and, and reanalyze our view of finances. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys for attending the eight. Um, for our parents, our kids at the eight program, all the details will be on the church website, sanmarkatl.church slash online. All right, everyone, have a great week. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary.